Naomi, uh, I'm Andrew. Um, and welcome to Weymouth Family Church. Uh, I'm part of the uh, membership here. My wife, Rachel, yeah, doing a bit something different this morning. Hopefully this technology will uh, work. No, we've got the screen. Excellent. So we'll be working through, as a church, we've been working through the Beatitudes. And you'll be glad to know that this is the end of the Beatitudes. The bad news is that Steve and I have swapped, and Steve's doing the second to last bit of the Beatitudes next week. But, well, more on that. Here's a question for you. When did you last persecute somebody? When did you last persecute somebody? We, often, we don't talk about persecution in those terms often. We talk about Christians being persecuted, people being persecuted. We've had a horrific demonstration this week of persecution in New Zealand. People being targeted because of their faith, because of their ethnicity. Persecution is a reality. When did you last persecute someone? God's really spoken to me as I've prepared this. He's really spoken in terms of into my life. So if I'm the only one who benefits from this morning, then great. God's making a difference in my life. We're working through, as I said, the Beatitudes, and it'd be good to read them through again. And I just, we're looking particularly at verses 11 and 12. Now, when we sometimes read the Beatitudes, we don't actually always read verse 12. But when I first saw I've been given verse 11, verse 12 fits. It follows on. It's a natural progression. And look at the change of emphasis in verses 11 and 12. This is from Matthew 5, verses 3 onwards. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Thank you, Fred. (laughs) Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Did you spot the change in emphasis? Hello? (laughs) Okay, uh, uh, anybody else got a take on that? It wasn't hello, that wasn't the change of emphasis. Anybody else got a take on the change of emphasis? Go back. So Steve will be preaching on this one next week. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are you. You. Jesus is sitting there with his disciples and he's giving this teaching. And he's saying, blessed are those 
Blessed are the meek. Blessed peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are you. You, 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 my disciples, you'll be blessed when people insult you, persecute you, and say all sorts of false things against you. Rejoice and be glad. You, you will be persecuted. It's a promise. We'll be persecuted. I want to give us a slightly different perspective on persecution this morning. Certainly the perspective that God's revealed to me through this. Where most of many of us looking around the room, mature Christians, we've heard talks about persecution before, and the reality is that persecution isn't a big deal in this country for us. It does happen. I'm sure it does happen in many in some contexts. I've never experienced any in my life knowingly. But have I persecuted? What do these guys have in common? Jeremiah, Prophet Jeremiah, Stephen from the Book of Acts, William. Uh, Tyndale and Billy Graham. I could have added loads more to this list, by the way, but those are four that I picked out. What have they got in common? What they've got in common, and that's, you're thinking, well, what's Andrew thinking here? Yeah, there's lots of different things maybe they've got in common. Um, two of them are in the Bible, but the other two aren't. Although William Tyndale actually made, helped translate the Bible, absolutely. And Billy Graham carried one everywhere, so maybe there's Bibles in common there. There we are. There's a, there's a connection I hadn't thought about. Um, now, what have they got in common? They've got in common that they were insulted for their belief, and they were insulted for carrying out what they believed God had told them to do. They had a conviction to do specific things, and they were insulted, and they were lied about. And in the case of Stephen and Tyndale, they die. Just quickly, Jeremiah. Um, apparently, this is a, this is an actual accurate representation of Jeremiah from what, 2000 BC or whatever. No, it's not. Um, so Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah. He, there's a, there's a whole book of his prophecy in the uh, in the Old Testament, uh, and he was called upon to speak, particularly to the nation of Israel, and to call them to repentance, to call them to Acknowledge the fact that there was there was greed that the, the priests were were going through empty rituals a whole range of things, uh, and he spoke out against what was happening. He called the nation to turn away from idolatry, and this is from Jeremiah 26. And he'd spoken out on a particular occasion. He'd spoken out in the house of the Lord in the temple. The priests, the prophets, and all the people heard Jeremiah speak these words in the house of the Lord. But as soon as Jeremiah finished telling all the people everything the Lord had commanded him to say, the priests and the prophets and all the people seized him and said, you must die. You must die. They persecuted him for bringing God's word, challenging them with prophecy. Jeremiah. Stephen, in the book of Acts, many of us are familiar with the story of Stephen, one of the first Christians serving the church, preaching. He was convicted to preach. People lied about him. They said that he was saying things that were untrue um, about the temple, and they, and they dragged him before the high priest. And he preached before the high priest and the council. And they were so angry that they took him outside and stoned him to death. 
Tyndale. So William Tyndale, uh, about 500 years ago, he lived, and he had a real conviction to translate the Bible into English. It was illegal to translate the Bible into English, but there's a great quote which I didn't write down, but it's along the lines of, he, he realized that the priests were pretty ignorant of the Bible, and he was really convicted of justification by faith, uh, convicted of the doctrine of grace, and he wanted to share that with as many people as possible. And he says, he says along the lines of, I want every plowboy in England to have a better understanding of God's word than the priest. For that, he had to run away to Europe, where he did translation work for a few years. He was eventually betrayed by somebody, imprisoned, tried by the authorities, the God-fearing authorities, and executed. And more recently, Billy Graham. Billy Graham, who was convicted to reach as many people as possible using whatever means were appropriate. He was an early proponent of using radio and television to reach a huge audience. He said, I don't do mass evangelism. He said, I do evangelism to the masses. And he was criticized. He was called the Antichrist and a whole load of other things. I've came across a website just as I was researching this, which is ladled with criticism of Billy Graham for things like working with Catholic churches, working with liberals. All these men were persecuted, and as said, persecutions promised. But who persecuted them? Yes, they were, I'm sure, collecting um, insults and all the rest of it from people outside of their faith, but they were persecuted by people of their faith. Jeremiah was persecuted by the priests and the Jews. Stephen was, back then when, in the book of Acts, Christianity wasn't a different faith. It was a natural next step in the Jewish faith. The Messiah had arrived. They didn't see themselves as a different religion. They were the fulfillment of all God had promised through the Old Testament. So he was speaking to people of his own faith. And they killed him. William Tyndale was killed by the religious authorities because they weren't playing by their he wasn't playing by their rules. And Billy Graham was called the Antichrist and a lot of other unpleasant things by Christians. When did you last persecute somebody? The church doesn't have a very good track record, does it, of when it comes to persecuting its own. It doesn't have a great history. There are loads of characters, particularly around the Reformation. If you want to go to Fox's Book of Martyrs, I haven't read it, but anyone here read Fox's Book of Martyrs? Oh, you have, right. Was it intense? Yeah. You can see it in, there's a copy in Guernsey, well there we are. So uh, yeah, Fox's Book of Martyrs, listing a whole load of martyrs, people martyred by the church for doing what they were convicted was the right thing to do. So where are we? Okay. So why do I think in these verses that, uh, I was expecting a verse slide, so this is, comes up, yeah, don't worry. 
lost my thread here slightly. Jump forwards. No, okay. The slide I was expecting didn't go. I wanted the verses back again. Um, let's jump backwards to that. Yeah, Rachel's pulling faces at me now. Not going smoothly, Andrew. I know. Yeah. There we are. Whoa. No. Eventually. Right. So why do I think, why am I taking an angle particularly about the church persecuting its own? Well, it's because when I read these verses the first time through, verse 12, which really does connect with the previous verses, was drawn to my attention, which is, but blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus is talking to his disciples the men who will go on to build the church. And he's saying, they will persecute you like they persecuted the prophets. He's drawing this connection between the, his disciples. And Stephen may have been there in that crowd, we don't know. He's drawing that connection between his disciples and the prophets. The Old Testament Jewish nation was a picture of the future church. The Jewish nation persecuted its prophets. Not the false prophets, the ones who said everything's going to be fine and dandy and we're all going to be rich forever, didn't persecute those, but it persecuted the ones who said, change your ways, because God's not happy with what you're doing. And in the same way, the church is persecuting its own. But how does this relate to me? I'm not actually actively persecuting anybody, even in the even in the church or outside the church. I'm not I'm not doing any of that stuff. So how does this relate to me? Well, let's ask yourself the question, Andrew. When did you last persecute somebody? And the answer is probably more recently than you think. Because what is persecution? Persecution, insults, lies, as it says here. It starts in the heart. It starts inside. Jesus was very clear that murder is not just, you know, murder is a sin, but actually, you say you fool. It's just as sinful. You look at a woman in the wrong way, that's just as you're committing adultery. It's just as sinful. Sinful sin begins in the heart. And in the same way, do we persecute? And I use the term in a, perhaps in a slightly different sense to the way you're used to being used. But do we insult people and do we say false things against them? No, I don't think I do do that very often, outwardly. But inwardly, even as I was walking here this morning, I said to, to Rachel, oh, yes, so-and-so likes to be kept, you know, likes to think they're a busy person. And then I stopped. I wasn't talking about anyone in the room, but I was talking about someone in the church context. And what was my heart behind that? Was it that I was commending them? Or was it actually a bit of almost mockery? Almost, oh, actually. And could that open the door to a conversation where, oh, yeah, they're a bit like this and a bit like that? And it could do. I think we do that a lot. I think I do it a lot. And I think we do it a lot. We assume people's motives. They're doing this because... You know, he's, he's only doing those things and he's volunteering to do that because he wants to get seen. You know, she's only, you know, she, 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 she's saying that there because she want, that's what she thinks they want to hear. But you know what? I know what she really thinks and she doesn't think that. 
probably. We assume motives. We assume what people are thinking. But we can't know what's inside people. We can't know what's right. People are doing the thing that they believe God has called them to do. Then it's not for us to judge them and to criticize them and to create an environment of criticism. To talk about them, to gossip, to lie, even internally. Because God says it's about what happens internally. And a lot of this stuff I don't think, you know, I look at this church, these great people, and I don't hear a lot of this stuff in, our, in the, our church context. But how much of it goes on internally? Only we know that. And I can only speak for myself in this, which is why I said I preach to myself. The rest of you may be all sitting there fine, and that's great. God looks on the heart. Let's get back to the heart slide. Yeah, I do. I've messed it up entirely now. So my challenge to myself and to all of us is to think well and speak well of other Christians. Now, this does not being wise not, not mean this does not mean we don't we shouldn't be wise. We should be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. You know, there are people who come into church contexts, and we've sort of seen that at almost firsthand. People who come into church contexts in order to be predatory in different ways. So church people and church leaders particularly need to be wise. So there's not saying you shouldn't question people's motives, but you should come from a place of grace and from a place a place of um, doing it respectfully. It's okay to disagree. You know, sometimes disagreements can get quite robust. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. A lot of this stuff happens on social media. I think in social media, we do tend to let our guard down. I see people put things on social media, and I think you wouldn't say that face to face. Sometimes it's done, there's quite robust discussions on social media. I was reading a couple this morning. There was a robust discussion. Um, but it was being done respectfully. So although it was, you read it through, and you think, oh, it's quite, they're getting a bit, but actually they weren't insulting each other, and from time to time they were sort of acknowledging each other's positions. And yeah, actually, it was, it was good, robust, but positive discussion. You know, iron sharpens iron. We need to have conversations. We will naturally have different opinions. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's how we deal with those things. And what we certainly shouldn't do is assume somebody else's thinking and assume their motives and start insulting them and lying about them. Because if you say they're doing this because, and you don't know that 100%, you're lying, even if it's only in your own heart. So when did you last persecute somebody? That's the question that I've asked myself over and over. And it's not about being legalistic. It's about, because we'll all mess up. We'll all think these things. We'll all say these things from time to time. We've sung about grace this morning. Grace. Jesus covers all our sin, our faith in him. But we don't believe in, well, I don't believe in cheap grace. Cheap grace is where you say, Jesus died for me and I can do what I like, basically. It doesn't really matter. That's cheap grace. I don't believe in cheap grace. You know, if I think, you know, that this is a part of my life I need to work on and change, then I need to work on it and change. And ask God to help me with that because I can't do it in my own strength. And I have been aware of um, situations where church leaders and people in churches have been badly damaged when this stuff does become externalized. And disagreement and name-calling and all of that sort of stuff, literally, does, you know, becomes a real thing in some church contexts, and people are badly damaged by that. 
and we've seen that over the years. That said, if you're pursuing God in all of this, and you're pursuing God in what you wanted to do, and people are doubting you, criticizing you, whatever, take encouragement from those words that are on the screen. Blessed. Blessed are you when people insult you and say all sorts of false things against you and persecute you. You are blessed in that situation. Now, it might not be blessing the church to have a disagreement and argument, but there's an assurance that if you're doing what God wants you to do, you'll be blessed. And rejoice, because that's what happened to the prophets before you. So it's not all bad news. That's not to say that I'd encourage it so that we get more blessing and, and rejoicing. But there is a truth in there that we know that we're all people and these things will happen from time to time. So just to wrap up, just imagine a church where we all honoured one another above ourselves, where we spoke well of each other, thought well of each other, we were respectful of each other. And that's not a case of all being terribly nice and refined. And would you like a cup of tea, Mick? Oh, yes, of course I would. Mick, that thing you said the other week, I have a slight thought about it. You, you know, it's not, we can be real about these things. In fact, if we are in that situation, we can, we can be real. It's the reverse. We, we can be ourselves, ideally, without being judged, without being criticized, without being insulted, even internally. This series is entitled The Flourishing Life. And a church like that, where we did honor one another above ourselves, we were respectful, and where we were dealing with these issues, that would be a flourishing life for us and a flourishing life for our church. Now, I said right at the start that um, this is a subject where we don't normally talk about very much, and, and so for that, you're going to get a bonus. You're getting three preachers on this subject. That was my one. You're now going to get one from Rachel, which is also the half of this one, covering the same verses. And then Steve is going to be doing, as I've already said, um, verse 10, which is again about persecution. I have no idea what Steve's going to say. Yeah, I guess he may listen to this, he may not. But, uh, anyway, so yeah, so my takeaway from that, yeah. Okay. Click on. Oh, yeah, oh, no, wrong way. Great verse. A new command I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you will love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And a church like that is going to be attractive to us and to those outside. Okay. Let's just reflect back on the verse, Matthew 5, 11. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, because of Jesus. Let me tell you a story about a young man called Kinu. Kinu, like so many people today, grew up in a broken home. His dad left when he was young and he grew up with his mother. He was fairly happy at school, 
made a lot of friends. But he was quite rebellious. He got to the age of 16, and he didn't know what he wanted to do with his life, so he left school. And lacking direction, he did nothing. Absolutely nothing. He didn't know what to do with his life, so he did nothing. And he started mixing with other people who did nothing. He got into smoking marijuana, and he got more and more depressed. He had all this time on his hands to think. He became overwhelmed with the pointlessness of life. He became so anxious about the thought of death. Would it really just end? Would that be it? He became so afraid of dying that he struggled to get out of bed in the morning. He was doing anything he could to try and get rid of this pain. He would go out and drink a lot and get himself into fights. Got onto antidepressants. And he carried on smoking marijuana. But he got more and more depressed and more and more eaten up by his anxieties. One day, he went online and he started chatting to a girl from Mexico. This girl was nice to him and it kind of soothed the way he was feeling. This girl started to tell him about Jesus. Kinu mocked her. How can you believe in a God when there's so much suffering in the world? How can you build your life on a 2,000-year-old book? That conversation got Kinu thinking. He started researching online. He was looking at the Freemasons, the Illuminati. And then he came across some preachers. One pe preacher in particular he was listening to. And this guy was preaching about Jesus, that Jesus saved. But he was also praying for people in the name of Jesus and putting his hands on them. And they were getting healed. He was absolutely, totally convinced that it was genuine. And he began to believe that this Jesus, who could heal broken bones and take away disease, could save him from the mess that his life was in. He put his faith in Jesus. And now he has built his life on that rock. And I know because he goes to my brother-in-law's church in Bristol. But what would have happened if that girl from Mexico hadn't started telling him about Jesus? What if she was too afraid of all the bad comments? I mean, as Andrew's mentioned on the internet, people let their guard down. They're more horrible to you on the internet than they would be necessarily to your face. What if she'd been too afraid of getting hurled abuse at her? 
to actually open her mouth. It got me thinking, are people insulting me, persecuting me, falsely saying all kinds of evil against me because of Jesus? Were they insulting me? And if they were insulting me, were they insulting me for the right reasons? As I thought about this, I came to the decision that there were three things I needed to avoid. The first one is bad behavior. You'll get the hang of it that I like to use things beginning with the same letter. So bad behavior. What do I mean by this? Well, after the, the Beatitudes, a few verses afterwards, in Matthew 5, 16, it says, In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. This is kind of suggesting that when we behave well, people are going to praise God. Good behavior, praise God. Bad behavior, maybe not. Again, in 1 Peter 4, it says, if you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Now, I'm not suggesting that we're saved by works. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But we're saved to do good works that he's prepared in advance for us to do. Are we distinctive? Are we really that different from the people around us? What are we known for? I want to be known for generosity not for stinginess. I want to be known for kindness, not being judgmental. I want to be known for caring for people, not for being resentful and hateful and bearing grudges. Maybe we're just not that different. Maybe we've compromised who we are so that we're actually not even prompting the question anymore. The second thing to avoid is Bible bashing. Now, you know what I mean by this, don't you? It's when someone just uses those verses about it being insulted as an excuse to share the gospel in any way they see fit. In 1 Peter 3, it says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience 
so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Always be prepared. That's what Mick's been encouraging us as a church to do, to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have. But are we even prompting the, the question? Sometimes I think that we're inclined to get tied up with these verses. I, from my personal experience, when I'm passionate about something, I tend to talk louder and louder. So if I'm excited, you'll just get the feeling that I'm just getting much louder and I'm, I don't even realize I'm doing it. I, we're having conversation, particularly if we're having a discussion, maybe about something to do with faith. I distinctly remember when I first went to university and I remember getting into a discussion about creation. And I was adamant that creation was done by God, in, uh, as it says in the Bible. And I was talking with someone who believed 100% in evolution. And I remember just going on and on and on. And I realized eventually that I was never going to win this argument. And I like winning arguments, especially when I know I'm right. But the danger is that when I'm getting excited about something, I'm getting louder and I can actually come across as very aggressive. I don't mean to, but just the way I am. And I'm so, when I read these verses, I end up getting tied in knots. I'm so anxious to be gentle that I can actually just end up not opening my mouth at all. Which brings me on to the third thing that we need to avoid. And this is the, probably the one that I have the most problem with. Beating about the bush. Sometimes we can be so politically correct that we don't say anything that we think somebody else could find offensive. I find it quite easy to talk about going to church. It's something I do. I can even talk about praying. I can talk about my Christian friends. I can even talk about God. But I do struggle to talk about Jesus. I do struggle to talk about Jesus being the hope of my life. It says in the Bible that we shouldn't be afraid of what we should be saying because it says the Holy Spirit will give us the words to say. Sometimes we just need that courage to open our mouth and give, say the words that the Holy Spirit is giving to us to say because there's not really any danger of being insulted for Jesus' sake if we never actually talk about him. Just think about that for a minute. 
what was the offense of Stephen and Jesus? It was the fact that Jesus was the offense. What we say in Jesus is that he is the only way to God. It's only by faith in Jesus that we can be forgiven for our sins. It's only by hope in Jesus that we have the hope of eternal life with our God and Father. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. How do we respond to this? From what Andrew was saying, we need to think about whether the Holy Spirit is prompting us. Have we have a wrong attitude towards others that we need to confess before God? Towards people that we disagree with? Do we need to confess a behavior, a behavior that's not honoring to God. Maybe we've been guilty of mouthing off on the internet, showing our anger or our disagreement with somebody in a way that doesn't reflect Jesus. Loving and honoring one another goes beyond the church to other people that we should love and honor those that we disagree with. Maybe the Holy Spirit is convicting you of a lack of gentleness. When we know that we have the truth, it's sometimes easy to want to bash our Bible over someone's head and say, of course it's true, believe it. But actually, that's not going to convince anyone. It's only the Holy Spirit that can make someone, turn someone to God. Maybe you need to pray for boldness. Boldness just to open your mouth and say the words that the Holy Spirit is giving you to say. And if you're not yet a believer here today, reflect about Kinu's story how he found hope out of his desperate situation, hope in Jesus. And ask one of the people here to share their story about how they have hope in Jesus. So let us love and honor one another and make sure that we're only insulted because of Jesus. if the worship band would like to, to come up, if you feel that God is touching an area of your life, then let's just respond to him in this moment as the, the mic can play something softly. So if you'd like to stand, if you're able, and respond to God, if he's touching something on your life, don't leave it. 
because the Holy Spirit wants to transform us. If it's just words that go in and out again, it's a waste of time. But if the Holy Spirit's touching you, respond to him in your life because our aim in this life and the next is becoming like Jesus.